Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Look at my butt. Oh, look at my front butt. Well, as soon as we heard the news yesterday, uh, both you and I said, oh, my goodness, three people have passed away. Uh, So we thought it was important for us to do this right away. Yeah. And luckily, we were able to, well, we got Miss Vicky. She's been horribly busy this week with things. We were lucky to catch 10 seconds of her free time. Hi, everyone. Yeah, it feels like 10 seconds. I don't think I've had 10 seconds of free time, but yeah. Yep. But yeah, the first one we're going to talk about, and we're going to give it to Vicki first, is, well, because it was reported, when it was reported late Thursday, it's one of those where it was said, but it wasn't confirmed. I mean... Rob Zombie was saying it, some of his family friends were saying it, but there was no official release, so it was kind of odd, and we were both debating, is this real or not, weren't we, Carl? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I I said to you, I I need to wait until we get confirmation from one of the majors like Variety or Hollywood Reporter or that, yeah. Yeah, but sadly we did. Michael J. Pollard passed away. And to really open this up, we're going to give it to Miss Vicky. Take it away, Vicky. <laughs> okay. Um, Pollard was a fantastic character actor. Here's the deal. Our character actors, we've done shows, all three of us have done shows on character actors and how much they add and sometimes carry films, TV, whatever they're in. And so um, my first, very first memory of Pollard is uh, 
Lost in Space, the old Lost in Space back in the early 60s, mid-60s, um, the black and white first season. And that first season of Lost in Space, which was the best and just the stellar when it came to guest stars. And um, Michael was on this show, I mean, on one of the episodes, and it was called The Magic Mirror. And it starred uh, Penny Robinson, Angela Cartwright, who hardly got any stories at all. You know, she was just the, the, the typical middle child. And so she got no stories. Bill Mummy got all the stories or, um, or Dr. Smith, whatever. And so uh, when she finally got a story that was about a teenage girl growing up, and the problems with that and the, the emotions that they go through, they chose the perfect co-star for her, and that was Michael J. Pollard. And at the time, he was a, a, a teenage young adult actor um, who, uh, with his unique voice and his unique looks, but his fantastic depth of emotion and acting, brought the perfect element to this story that they were trying to tell about um, a teenage girl trying to grow up from being a little girl to a teenage girl to a young woman. And, and plus they had one of the scariest monsters ever in that story. And um, Pollard, instead of being scared of the monster, played around with it. And his, his, his playfulness as an actor towards the monster made it even scarier for Penny, the, the Robinson star, and for the rest of us. Because I've been on a um, – I have two Lost in Space um, Facebook pages that I go to all the time. And everyone's talking about, uh, of course – Star Trek and, and Bonnie and Clyde and all this. But the one thing about um, the Lost in Space episode is how the monster lives on in our heads. And that is not just because he was so scary, because he never really hurt anyone. He just had a scary voice and a scary look. It was the way Michael J. Pollard played off this monster. So that shows you at the very beginning of his career as a young adult how wonderful an actor he really was. And so it's very much worth it to go out and see his uh, or seek out his work because you will enjoy it. And it's really sad that uh, he passed away. We have many actors in their 80s doing all kinds of work. Look at the new show coming out, um, Picard. Okay, it's just it's it's almost a tragedy when an actor passes away and they're only 80 these days. What was the Star Trek episode that he did? Oh, Miri, one of the great Star Trek episodes. He was in the oh, I can't think of her name. I'll get it. Um Hold on, I'm working on that. You keep going. I got it. Well, um there was uh one of the one of the great episodes in, in uh, the original series was called Miri. And uh, uh, it was Picard went, uh, Picard, Kirk and Spock. And um, 
I really need it up because I can't think. I just got out of bed like 45 minutes ago, people. I've only had a cup of coffee. Um, so please excuse me for not being able to think very well. Um, uh, the whole thing was that uh, there was a planet of of kids. And as they oh, became God, yeah. mature adults, they caught this viral disease and it killed them. And so um, Miri and Michael J. Pollard, Jean, I think his name was. Jean, uh, exactly. Uh, their characters were on the cusp of becoming adults. And Jean was in, in love with Miri. And then when Miri saw Captain Kirk, of course, she fell in love with him. But also, um, the uh, it was a, it's a very good episode because it's not – it's – it's another coming of age type episode for young adults, teenagers, and all the different complications that happen within um, these these romantic entanglements. And so it was it was really good, and I can just I can still see his face as he sees that the girl that he's in love with has now fallen in love with this older man. And of course, you know, Kirk is dashing and, and a captain and a, a spaceman and all these things. And how does a, how does a, a young man, a boy uh, compete with that? And all the emotions that were on his face and the way he, the inflections of his voice, it's a really a beautiful role and, and brings everything that he he had in the uh, Lost in Space episode. This is almost like a step, even though it wasn't one right after the other in his career. It was, in my young mind, it was from Lost in Space to Star Trek. Um, this gradual, from a from a young teen or a middle teen to a young man, and he did it just perfectly, perfectly. And so, so I want to just uh, interrupt here for a moment just to give you some information. Uh, the woman, uh, Mary, was Kim Darby. There you go. I couldn't think of her name. Yeah. Kim Darby. Uh, and also, I just have one thing to say. Bonk him on the head. Bonk him on the head. Yeah. You remember that from that episode? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. And, yes, well. And Vicky's just giving us a great segue from that role, you could really trace another to his third role, which showed him going from a teenager, which he wasn't carried to, a young man. And that would be what is really his cult film, wouldn't you say, Carl? Well, well, are you talking Bonnie and Clyde, or are you talking... No, no, uh, no, no, uh, no. Little... No, you're yeah. talking Little Foul. Awesome Big Halsey. And this is yeah, right. Bonnie um, and Clyde was no here. Bonnie and Clyde was before that though. Yeah, yeah I'm absolutely. just talking about in his evolution as an actor. You know, go from a little kid to almost teenager and lost in space to a teenager to almost a man in there, and then from that part shows him becoming a man right in an acting role in Little Falcon right. House. Go ahead, Carl, and tell them what 
Carl understands where I'm going with it. Go for it, Carl. Exactly, exactly. So, so there, there was, and we can't, you know, forget Bonnie and Clyde uh, because he was up for an Academy Award for that, and 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 a wonderful role there. But there, he was like the teenager who sort of hung on. But you're right about this. So this, this is a movie that's directed by Sidney Fury. This is uh, uh, Robert Redford. Michael J. Pollard, and basically what you have is there are two motorcycle racers, uh, but the inept little Faust, which is Pollard, and and uh, the opportunistic womanizing uh, Halsey, uh, they they become friends and and frenemies, and uh, there's this wonderful interplay. I mean, a lot of people in these days, you know, look at Robert Redford and think of him maybe more of a star than an actor. But when he was playing off a of Pollard in this, you know, he had so much energy thrown at him, he had to throw it back. And it's a great role for Pollard. I mean, you talk about someone who is um, basically just just full of energy and making mistakes, but still enough to step back and have these wonderful scenes. There's a scene where he has a uh, a soliloquy monologue where he just says, you know, what do I do wrong? Why am I doing this? And it's a great scene. And it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, film, and one that I definitely recommend. And I love his arc right. in this movie because he goes from the start of the movie as hero-worshipping Robert Redford's character, Big Faust, till at the end of it when Big Faust tries to foist the woman that Falsey falls in love with on him. He's like, no. Right. And then at right. the end, he's like, okay, I've joined the Army now. I've decided I want to become a responsible adult. Yeah. Right. Then he ends up right. beating Halsey. Mm-hmm. No it's foul. It's like slaying, your, slaying your, your heroes. You know, finding the fault in, in hero worship and going beyond that. Yeah, and it's a it's a great little unknown movie, but those of us who have seen it love it. I remember going to the drive-in, not knowing at all what this was, and my mom loves Robert Redford. We I've seen all his movies, everything he's ever done, and uh, um, just being in awe of the fact that Pollard was in this movie, and one of the stars of the movie. And so it was. It was a fascinating experience for me. Oh yeah. And the movie did flop because Robert Redford is basically well, not basically. He's very unlikable in this movie. Yes. Yep. Yes, and everybody wants him to be, you know, the the romantic lead. Yeah, and, and he is an asshole in this movie, and it works really well. I mean, uh, playing against type, and then Pollard being the responsible one. It's it's. Uh, I I I really like this movie. Really yeah. like this movie a lot. It's well written. Yeah, definitely one that you need to see. And mine would be. Well, how many films have you two guys seen about Billy the Kid that? shows him as either the romantic hero or just the misunderstood kid. 
Well, there's several renditions of Billy the Kid. Yeah, like that. Yeah, right, Carl? I mean, you watch oh. Westerns with your dad. How many romantic versions of Billy the Kid did you see? Oh, tons of them. I mean, you know, it's it's all about the uh, uh, the legend. And, of course, the legend is always romanticized. You know, um, and even to this day, I mean, you look at uh, uh, the one that Andrew Dominic did, uh, the uh, shot by the coward Robert Ford. How romanticized is that? Oh, Fuller? No, no, no. The 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 shot by the coward. Uh, oh, Ford. the assassination the one that of Jesse did. James by the coward Robert right, that Ford. One. Yeah, that one. Right. Yeah. No, but, but Billy 19... the Kid, all those. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. No, but I'm just going to say they're all they're all romanticized, except for one that we're going to talk about. Yeah. If you're watching, if you're listening to some blog call, you're going to see a poster, and it just has in giant freaking type, Billy the Kid was a punk. And mm-hmm. this is the text off the poster. This is the death of the, you have seen many films about the legend of Billy the Kid. This movie is not about that man. This movie is about William H. Bonnie. And William H. Bonnie was a loser. And then it shows a nasty, dirty-looking Michael J. Pollard standing in it, and it says, Dirty Little Billy. This is the only movie I've ever seen that shows Billy the Kid or William H. Bonney as a sociopath. This movie is closer in tone to Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer in its art than the left-handed gun or young guns or anything. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. It shows Bonnie as this ignorant hayseed that comes off the farm and who goes to this small town and hooks up with this uh, fellow crook, and they just do nothing throughout the whole movie except uh, use prostitutes and just bully everyone until the very end where Pollard's character snaps and he becomes a full-on sociopath. Right. Yeah, you you and I were talking about this uh, yesterday, and... I said, in many ways, this is the punk rock Western, made yeah. way before punk rock started. Uh, uh, he is such an asshole, um, and, and he plays it so well. I mean, slimy, nasty, just terrible human being. And, and that was very much the sense of Westerns in this time frame. When you talk about Westerns from about 68 to 73, you know, they were acid westerns. They were anti westerns. You know, it was all not about good and evil. It was either you're purely evil or, you know, you're a combination of both. Uh, and in this case, they went that way and uh, uh, purely evil. And it's a great film. And the other yeah. interesting thing about it is do you know who directed this? I forget who did direct it. Stan Dragotti. What is Stan Dragotti best known for? TV shows. Love at First Bite. 
Yeah, love at first bite. He went from making this nasty, gritty little movie that basically tainted the box office because it was too 70s for the 70s. Yeah. Heck, even in the 70s, old liver eater Johnson was sanctified into a hero. Yeah, and that's, of course, uh, Jeremiah Johnson. Um, yeah. One other, one other little little thing about this too. Do you know who uh, debuted in this movie? Who? Gary Busey. Oh. That's and interesting. Since we're going to be I about think these I remember other it. things. Uh, we'll let Vicky go and wake up. And this, thank you, thank you, thank you, Vicky, for coming on, even if it's just for this short time. You don't know how much. Oh, we you're did. welcome. Well, because of my job, (laughs) I just don't have the time like other people. Well, hell, after this week, I just feel like singing that song from Hee Haw to you. Yeah, really. What is that? Real despair in agony on me. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. You know, that's really funny. I'm just going to say this. My stepdad used to always say that to me. He goes, if, um, all, your luck is all bad luck. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, I know. And, yep, that's the way it goes. I haven't even some said that us, to you. Uh, some of us are bo- born under a dark star. <laughs> and and, and thank you and tell everyone hi from us and – Tell the recent birthday girl that happy birthday again from us. No, okay, no, no. I got to do this. I got to do this quick. Happy no, birthday right. to uh, Happy birthday why? to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Georgia. Happy birthday to you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> That's my mom, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well. Yes, okay. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs> okay, now getting on. Who's, who debuted in Bonnie and Clyde? Whose first movie was Bonnie and Clyde? Where he played uh, part of... That was uh, Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder. What? Yeah, Gene, Gene Wilder. Wilder. He played a couple... Yeah. Pollard deserved his Oscar nomination for Bonnie and Clyde. We're not going to dance around that. He deserved it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. He also had a wonderful role in Entered Laughing, too, which people forget about. Talk about that a tiny bit, because that's one of those Jewish films in the 70s that well, actually, it's the 60s. Well, Enter Laughing is basically based on the life of Carl Reiner. Mm. You know, it's based on the life of Carl Reiner, who directed and co-wrote it. Uh, and it's a wonderful little film. It really is. I'll give you a, a, a quick thing here. I'm getting to it. So, so basically, what you have is... Uh, you know, look at this cast. You've got Jose Ferrer, Shelley Winters, Elaine May, Jack Guilford, um, Michael Pollard, Don Rickles, Richard Deacon, 
you know, uh, and basically David, a nice young man living with his parents, works at a machine repair shop. His parents want want him to study to be a pharmacist, but what he really wants to be is an actor like his idol Ronald Coleman. And one day at a friend friend's suggestion, uh, uh, he goes and gets a small part in a low rent production, and and uh, it's really a fun little movie. And, and and it's really well done. And it's a nice film. And to clarify, his hero, Carl Reiner's hero, was Milton Berle. And, yes, Carl Reiner became a writer and a sometimes actor on your show of shows. And that's what really gave him a start. Mm-hmm. And if I was going yep. to pick my favorite Carl Reiner moment... It would be the moment on the Dick Van Dyke show after Melly Tyrell Moore has basically exposed that he's bald. Yes. Then it shows Dick Van Dyke, Dick Van Dyke going into his office, and Carl Reiner just sitting at his state table, his desk, with basically surrounded by a circle of wigs, and he's just staring at them. Ah, uh, it's a wonderful. Yeah, I mean, in the early 70s, Pollard was one of those in-demand character actors who had some great, great roles. Mm -hmm. He was even in a Lucio Fulci film. Yes, before the apocalypse. Before the apocalypse. One of the only times I've seen Brett Parker's stories, one of the first men to write, Westerns down, mm-hmm. you know, like Pope Westerns ever, even for writers on the Purple Sage, based on the Outlaws of Poker Flats. Right. And because it is based on Brett Parker, it's a grim, nasty, dark story. And Pollard so I have a pl- innocent. Okay, so I have a question for you. <clears throat> what film or films would you recommend to people that are hidden gems of Michael J. Pollard? Well, we just talked about one of the biggest, and that's Dirty Little Billy. And the okay, other one so would be Go ahead. a very times ten obscure Canadian film called A Quiet Sunday in the Country which basically has him as part of this four-man group of outlaws, bad guys trying to escape, and Pollard plays a psychopath in it. And they end up at the country house of Ernest Borgnine, who, if you watch the trailer, it shows him as this very nice, sweet country man who's taking care of his granddaughter after his daughter and his wife has passed away. And it turns out he's more of a demented psychopath than a fucking killer. And Michael Pollard. No, Borgnine turns out to be more of a demented psychopath than the killers are. And it just gets more messed up from there. Yeah. Now I've not I've not seen this, but you, you uh gave me a trailer and the trailer doesn't show you anything. Which is no. a good thing, by the way. But yeah, I need to see this. I need to see this. 
So, so for me, I mean, you know, he was in a lot of smaller roles and in, in, in good films. Between the Lines by Joan Micklin Silver had a nice role in Melvin and Howard. Uh, um, but there's a movie I had. I, I just figured this out. Okay, from 1986, there's this little movie that on IMDb it's called The American Way. But I know it as Riders on the Storm. And if there's a hidden gem of Michael J. Pollard, it's this one. And they team him up with Dennis Hopper as as a, a crew that, that are doing pirate radio broadcasts from a from an one of the uh, bombers plane planes. And and they're they're trying to get back to ground uh uh after the Vietnam War. Now you you introduced this one to me, uh, Stephen, so I'm gonna drop this off to you. Yeah. And you talk a little bit about this film. Basically Dennis Hopper plays hit basically and it's not even said in the film, his character from Easy Rider, who after the ending of Easy Rider, which he survived somehow, joined Air America and took his propaganda bomber, which they were broadcasting over Vietnam, and basically were broadcasting rock music and anti-presidential propaganda over the United States where Nixon got reelected, that's who the character president is supposed to be, four or five times. And it's just <laughs> totally insane and over the top. It doesn't even that, explain how the hell they stay up there, how the hell they get fuel, how the hell they get food. <laughs> you just go with it. Yeah. And it's fun as hell. It really, really is. And it's so much fun. And Pollard is so freaking fantastic in this role. He really is. And you you got to love him. Yeah, his character takes some bad acid, and he's basically tripping throughout the whole movie. You know, and those of us that that sort of went through that time in the '70s uh, can understand exactly what he's going through. That's all I'll say. And it has a black Zen guy who does nothing that talks in Zen in Zen platitudes, and is meditating throughout the whole movie. Yep. And you gotta love a movie where the ending is basically Robert. Uh, Dennis Hopper. Sorry for using basically too much. It's Dennis Hopper crashing into the White House while playing Jimi Hendrix solo from Woodstock, uh, uh, the Star Spangled Banner. Right. <laughs> yeah, this this one didn't get much uh, uh, push uh, as far as the. Uh, um, the people who produced it or the studio or even shown in a theater. I doubt it was even shown in a theater. Very surprising. Yeah, I think it was I think it escaped the VHS. Yeah. It is just so goddamn bizarre. 
But the the other thing too that we need to talk about Michael Pollard is not that he was a star, not that he had these huge roles, but he was in a bunch of really good movies. You know, uh, uh, you know, he's in uh, Roxanne. Okay, with uh, Steve Martin, he's in American Gothic. He's in Scrooge. You know, uh, yeah. You know, he did some really good work. Dick Tracy. He always did good work whenever he's in, even at the mm-hmm. beginning of House of a Thousand Corpses. Right. Him riffing with, uh, I could have just watched ninety minutes of him riffing with Sid Haig. Oh, hell yeah. Can anyone else came uh, come up with the line, say the line, well, one time he got Dr. Zayas stuck up his ass and <laughs> yeah. pull it off as funny as he did? Yep. Yep. There's one other I got to mention, which is a, another VHS uh, or a straight-to-DVD one. Do you know Motorama? I've heard the title, but I don't know the movie. All I could tell you is this. He's a very small role. He has one scene. But guess who his scene is with? Who? Susan Tyrell. Oh, nice. (laughs) The two of them them go at it. uh, She runs into him at a shopping cart and he does something wrong and she just goes after him and he's like ah, get me the fuck out of here please <laughs> yeah. and he was in Tango Cash's too as Kurt Russell's brother yeah seriously we're gonna miss him yes he loves all Absolutely. of our character actors damn it and that's the truth Mm-hmm. Now, of course, we just mid, uh, uh, missed uh, Sid here not too long ago either, Sid Haig. So, I mean, yeah. we've, we've lost a lot. Well, hell, just from this decade, we've lost uh, Hoff, Seymour Fe- Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's his no, name? We just lost Barney He's dead, isn't he? Mm-hmm. No, or is he still around? Who who again? I missed it. The one that was who starred in Sideways too. Oh no, uh, uh, no, that's Paul Giamatti and Thomas Hayden Church. No, they were off. Yeah, but yeah, uh, but Robert Porter passed. Him, of course. Damn it. Yeah. But yep. moving on. During the 70s and 80s, there always was this weird fight between us horror fans. Who do you like more? The first camp was always, oh, I like uh, Gore because he wrote The Adams oh, yeah, Family Gordon. and all that. You know, oh, no, no, no. Gore didn't write The Adams Family. Gory did oh. his own thing. Then it was who Charles was Adams who did the Adams Family. Yeah, Adams. Duh, I said Adams Family. Duh. But yeah, mm-hmm. like Charles Adams, we liked him. He was classy. And then the other ones go, yeah, well, we like Gan Wilson. He's a sick little fucker. 
<laughs> and he would be okay with that. Yeah. And he would be sadly, okay with it. We got the word that we lost today. Gan. Gan will. Gan. That was the saddest part. Right before he died, he was family and him were doing a Kickstarter so they could afford to put him in a, a in home health care. Right. How the fuck could someone as big and as published and did all this work for Playboy and all that end up having to? Well, you know. Oh, it's a shame. It's a shame. Because back in the day, let's not forget, he basically what had, had three outlets. Playboy, The New Yorker Magazine, and, and also National Lampoon. Yeah. And, I mean, you, 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 you couldn't turn around with running into this wonderful, dark, you know, sort of really weird sense of humor. Uh, um, and it's wonderful stuff. You know, Charles Adams, we were talking about this earlier, Stephen, but Adams and the Adams family was, there was this sense of family, and so it was safer. Gory was more to the left of that, but Gay and Wilson was even to the left of Gory because yeah. with Gay and Wilson stuff, it's like, what? Ah, ah, ooh. Like you know, that sort of one laugh. cartoon that I posted uh, yesterday. It shows this fat guy standing around, and then it shows these ghoulish-looking people standing around him, and the fat guy goes, well, what's for barbecue? And they're all just staring <laughs> at the fat guy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Like, and there's all sorts of that. I asked Pete Chanella what his favorite uh, Wilson cartoon was, and he said he picked the one of uh, the cold bot, the butcher's case, with all of the guy's dead body parts in it. Mm-hmm. Nice. And, of course, we know which one was uh, Joe Dante's favorite. Yeah, do I have to explain that? And Gremlins. And Tag, go for it, Carl. Well, okay. So Phoebe Cates has this wonderful uh, speech in Gremlins about how her father got caught in the chimney trying to come down as Santa Claus. And a decade before that movie, Jayhan Wilson put out a, a, a one-panel of a uh, kid opening up his presents and back in the fireplace, you, uh, the police are there. Well, we found found what was what had uh, was sticking in your fireplace, and it's this guy that's all burned up as Santa. So uh, Joe Dante, years later, after Gremlins was released, had an interview uh, which I read, and he said unequivocally that the Gay Hand Wilson uh, uh, cartoon definitely had an influence on that speech. So yeah. yeah. I mean, you could say that Gremlins Two was Chuck Jones. Oh yeah. But Gremlins was Gan Wilson. 
Oh, yeah. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And uh, it's sad that's the only really filmatic adaptation of any of his animation or work ever. I would have loved to have seen animators do a Cam Wilson film. Oh, yeah. I would, too. And maybe that will happen now. Who knows? You know, uh, uh, we don't know. But but really would be nice. Um, I'll tell you a couple that I like. Um, uh, one that I posted on my wall, being a musician, right? He just has Sonata for Three Frogs and his piano keyboard with three frogs in the midst of jumping up and down on the keys, which I just find amusing. But but he also did things that were just odd. One one that I didn't mention, you know, which I'm going to post to Vicky, is uh, a shot of the Earth and you see a satellite going by and that sort of thing. And you see this other satellite from the behind and it's hollow. And it just says, Act 2, Scene 3, Stanley Kubrick. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. My favorites have to be, of course, one of the most famous ones. It's one of those, if you don't look in the foreground, you won't get the joke. And I love those of his. It shows this crazy doctor standing behind this guy staring at a wall in the night. But if you look in the foreground at the wall, there's an eye chart there. And it reads, I am an insane eye doctor, and I am about to kill you. I am standing behind you right now with a knife in my hand. (laughs) That's probably his most famous by far. Yeah. By far. And there's one he did. It was for a a Christmas-themed thing he did for Playboy. And it shows this little brat of a kid tearing up, opening up all the presents and just being evil. And then you look behind him, there's this dark fireplace, and there's these two horrible bloodshot monster eyes and these green hands with long red claws sticking out of the fireplace. And above it reads, Santa Claus, Satan Claus, C-L-A-W-S, for the bad boys and girls. You don't see what happens to the little kid, and you don't want to know, but. <laughs> yep. And, of course, my favorite is the one that shows King Kong on in downtown New York, and he's destroying the freeway and just raising hell. And it has a traffic helicopter above him, and the caption reads, Traffic in downtown New York today may be a little congested. (laughs) (laughs) That's one thing he did. The humor was always sort of understated, right? Yeah. Yep. And there was this one that he did that showed, like, the creature from the Black Lagoon laying dead. And it Mm -hmm. showed these two... uh, guy standing next to him he's like ain't it a shame all he wanted to do was get laid (laughs) (laughs) he 
he always had this understated, very sick sense of humor. Yep. And the world's a sadder place without him. This is true. This is true. So, so our tip and of the hat. the biggest reason that anyone who doubts that us as teens read Playboy just for the pictures are bullshit. Because what would you see on the cover? You would see new Dan Wilson cartoons. Oh, shit. We're going to read that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it would be in big, giant letters on the cover. New Gan Wilson cartoons. Oh, shit, we got to read this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, and lastly, it showed uh, these two monsters chasing each other down the street, and this old woman looks looks at another one and goes, it's just one damn thing after another, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> yep. <laughs> we love you. May you rest in peace now. Much love to his family. Mm-hmm. And lastly, we're going to talk about a guy who, well, he did did it all. He produced. He directed. He had his own film company, and that would be the great Arthur Marks. He died on the 13th, but the word didn't get out till today, yesterday. Yeah, yeah. late last night is when, when I found out. Yeah. Now, this he this was is a man that started at... Okay, okay so ahead. let me just give, give people information. He started out as the second unit director uh, on MGM uh, uh, musicals of the 50s. Then, then he started doing some directing, uh, particularly Steve Canyon, and he directed a ton of Perry Mason, and even like I Spy and that. But then in the seventies, he decides to direct films, and of course, also then uh, uh, General Film Corp. He he uh, uh, got that together and formed that company. And produced so many drive-in things of the 70s. And this is where I really know him. You know, I mean, uh, first film was Togetherness, Bonnie's Kids. Then you get into his black exploitation, which is Detroit 9000. Uh, uh, let's not forget uh, Linda Lovelace for President. That's an odd little film. Oh, and I would um, like to say most of you uh, Tarantino acolytes We'll know Detroit 9000 if not for the fact that he released, re-released it on his Rolling Thunder label. Then if you get the Jackie Brown soundtrack, it has one of the best lines from Detroit 9000. Absolutely. Which is, the day I follow Carl Kafer around a wet deck is the day I cut my own throat. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember the main yep. guy's name, but yeah, I mean just that. You know, uh, Detroit Nine Thousand, uh, uh, Bucktown, Friday Foster, JD's Revenge. You know, he produced uh, so many of the Perry Masons. You know, uh, just an amazing amount of work, and not only that. Then we get into General Film Corporation and what they released under yeah. his banner. 
good Lord, this guy just filled drive-in screens in the 70s. And, okay, and I saw I most of these. something to see if you can figure it out. What is really the connection and really what makes Friday Foster, Bucktown, J.D.'s Revenge, and Detroit 9000 so unique from the other black exploitation films? Well, one of the things about about, about uh, them is they, they, they go back to more standard style. Like, J.D.'s Revenge is really a gangster film, right? You know, Bucktown is a, is a con con film. Uh, another thing that he did a lot of was pair black and white actors together. You know, that's and one other did. thing that. Okay, go ahead. Ensemble pieces, Bucktown. Yeah. Who was all in it? Thelma Fusala, Pam Greer, Jim Brown. Right. Uh, Hammer Williamson. Fred Williamson. Uh, yeah. J.D.'s Revenge. Louis Gossett. I mean, there's, he yeah. always did ensemble pieces. Friday Forster, Yafit Kodo, uh, mm-hmm. Bernie Casey, Pam Greer, mm-hmm. Eartha yeah. Kitt. He loved mm-hmm. He did those as ensemble pieces and not focused on one character. Right. Right. And that really made him stand out when you would see movies like before that. Usually, if, uh, black exploitation films would be like Foxy Brown, Shaft, Superfly, The Mask. Right. You're very true. But J.D.'s Revenge you know, is one of the best ghost stories ever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it really is. I consider it more of a possession than than, than a ghost story. It's a possession film. But, yeah, it's still a ghost. Yeah, Sins of the Father and stuff. And it has one right, of exactly. Louis Gossett Jr.'s best lines ever. Okay. The best he said, the next thing you pull out of that pocket may be a ham sandwich or else you're going to be eat because you're going to be eating it. Yep. But Detroit 9000 is good. Oh, it's very good. Even the And it gives Alex for, Rocco a really good part. Alex, uh, uh, another real good, solid character actor. And, and one of the few times he had a, had a uh, lead role. Alex Rocco is just fantastic in that film. Alex Rocco was also in Bonnie's Kid, which was another ensemble piece, which had, uh, uh, what's her name from, uh... Hold on, I'm working on it. Ginger. I'm working on it. Jerry Broflo. Right. And I was also going to mention Class of 74, his his, uh, sexploitation comedy. Or one of his yeah. exploitation comedies, which gave us Marky Bay in the first. Uh, that was one of her parody first of uh, Summer of '62, wasn't it? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. I yeah, Alec and uh, you... go ahead. Well, I was just saying we're talking about Bonnie's kids. 
uh, Ox Rocco, Tiffany Bowling, Robin Matson. Now, those are the big names there. But yeah, I mean, that one's a nasty little movie. It has one of the great taglines, though. Bonnie's kid. Okay. Thank God she only had two. Nice. <laughs> nice. It's a sleazy little film about this older girl who ends up ripping off the mob for like uh, close to $50,000. So Alex Rocco and another guy is called in the hitman to kill the Tiffany Bowie and her boyfriend to get the money back, while her younger sister is being molested by her uh, stepfather. Right. Oh, it's a fun movie, isn't it? It's just so much fun. Oh, none of the general pictures were fun. Then you got the no. Calder Girls of Andrew Prime. Look up the cast for that one while I talk about it. Okay, what, what, what's the name of it again? The Calendar hmm. Girls. Oh, Calendar Girls, okay. It has Andrew Prime as this guy, and it's like a bizarre anthology where Andrew Prime is stalking these girls throughout it because they're in this Playboy magazine, and they're fil- and he ends up killing two of them before Tiffany Bowling shows up at the end and kills him. Yeah, I'm not finding that. Look not up under that title. I'm looking. Okay, that's exactly where I'm going. The middle story is the sleaziest, with one of the girls nearly getting raped by her manager because she won't do the porno spread. So she ends up in this inbred family's house, and they ended up raping her, and she escapes from there. And then she runs into Andrew Prine, who kills her. Lovely. Lovely. No, I'm at Andrew Plain now. I'm getting back into okay. Okay, dark room. We're in the eighties. Now we're in the seventies. Uh last of the Mohicans become Terror Sir the Centerfold Girls, that's it. Oh, the Is that Girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. See, even yeah, I'm stupid. Go. Well, look at the cast of that. Okay. Jamie Lynn Bauer, Aldo Ray. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Ray Danton. Mike Mazurki. Yeah, that's a cast. That's a cast, to say the least, Andrew Prine, of course. And then he did Pets, General Pictures released Pets, oh God. (laughs) Have you heard of that one, Carl, Pets? No, I have not. It might be a good thing I haven't. Maybe I've seen it under another uh, title, though. 
No, there it is. It's, wanna, it's, uh, it's a trilogy. The first part is this girl ends up with this bull dyke lesbian who she ends up leaving because she won't, because she ends up killing the guy that, well, who sneaks in the boner. Right. So she kills him, and then she runs off, and then she hooks up with this black girl who end up robbing and raping this white boy on the side of the road. And then the lesbian from the first story is looking for the girl. Who stars in that, Pets? Uh, basically, no one that I know other than Ed Bishop and Candace Rialson. Yeah, Candace Rialson. Rialson, yeah. She ends up with this guy who, this is where the pets comes in, keeps them in dog cages and feeds them dog food and has them walking around on all four like dogs and has collars on them. Oh, and lovely. lesbian girl ends up a dog at the, as his newest pet at the end of the movie. General Pictures was nasty and sleazy. And I'm saving yes. the worst. Or the best, well, the best for last. They put out a movie, a noir, that's so dark, so grim, so nasty, that whenever I recommend it to people, I always have a giant fucking asterisk next to it as a warning. Okay. Even you will agree once I say the title that this one might go a little too far. Uh, okay. And that would be the candy snatchers. Oh, good God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Short version of these three idiots end up kidnapping this girl so they can hold her ransom so her stepfather and her mother will play a ransom of $50,000 in gems so they won't give her back. But it gets nastier and darker from there. What did you think the first time you seen the candy snatchers, Carl? Oh, good God. Oh, good God. You know, uh, one of the things we have to mention is that one of the main characters is a mute autistic boy. Uh, And what happens to him is just earth-shattering. It's it's a really dark film. Not anyone you would know in the the cast with maybe the exception of Tiffany Bowling, who did a number of these type of films. Um, But yeah, yeah, this, this one is... This one's rough. This one's really rough. There's a reason why the DVD still goes for $90 nowadays. Mm-hmm. And no other company besides the first one to put it out that went under has even tried to touch it, and I understand. Sometimes yeah. Turner Classic Underground has shown this, but uh, no, they were going to show up, but they canceled it at the last minute. <laughs> I mean, you just 
just look up the trailer and you'll see why this one is nasty. Arthur Marks. Oh, it is. And what's funny is <laughs> Arthur Marks went from creating black exploitation and distributing and directing some of the nastiest, sleaziest films of the 70s into the new Perry Mason show in the 80s. So he basically bookended the, his career with Perry Mason. Perry Mason. Okay. Now, one other one other movie I have to mention, which we mentioned briefly before we 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 end up here with Arthur Marks, would be Linda Lovelace for president. Okay. Oh God. Now, now I'm going to tell you right now. He doesn't even have his name on this film, and it's horrible. But I have to, I I just have to say this: exploitation films, exploitation films of the seventies were some of the most oddball things in the world, and you would never guess who was in this movie. So 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 let me just tell you. Of course, of course, we all know who Linda Lovelace is, but let's let's talk about you know, who has a major role in this: Mickey Dolan's of the Monkeys. You're not. He's just yeah, fucking, but he's not the oddest person in there. Okay, so talk to me. Dick Gregory. Yeah, Dick Gregory's in there. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, he was like, yeah, oh Dick god, Gregory, Dick Joey Dillon. Ross. Oh fuck, Dick Gregory! What the <laughs> hell? Yeah. Yeah. And all these these old uh uh. Um, uh, uh, Vodka, uh, guys, you know, just, just incredible. You know who else is in this? Who? Better known as being an author as opposed to an actor. Philip fucking Roth is in this movie. Oh, uh, it's probably one of those where, like, they just grabbed everybody off the street. Hey, who goes on the street? Philip Roth, grab him. What the fuck? You're going to be in this movie. <laughs> Let me go, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's out I gotta on tell you Red DVD. It's out on uh, DVD, but I don't know if you'd want to buy it or not. It's one of those. No, no I would, recommend, it, out I would recommend trying to find it on YouTube or somewhere where you can see it for free. I'm, yeah, I'm just it's saying. one of those that's more fun to talk about than watch. Yeah. Yeah, though so, so what really blew my mind was Mickey Dolan's at the time. Like, what the fuck are you doing in this movie? Seriously. And I saw that at the drive-in. And luckily I was very stoned, which is probably the optimum way of watching this movie. But nonetheless, I, I love it anyway. Seriously. Do a show on this one day, the bizarre softcore sexploitations of the late seventies, early eighties. Mhm. Oh yeah, we need to. We need to. I mean, there's so many. The Happy Hooker series. Uh. uh yeah. Emmanuel. Mhm. Oh yeah, I love the Emmanuel films. Okay. Uh. But yeah, we call yeah. it Arthur Marks really is, we use it 
we don't use that term loosely, but with him dying, it really is an end of an era. Oh, very much so. I would agree with that 100%. I think the only really one of the big ones from the 70s still left that I know of, there probably is more when it comes to producer-directors, is probably Corman. Yeah. Corman's, I think, the last of them, to be honest. Yeah, and really Pollard, we're seeing more of the character actors nowadays being lead actors because in the 70s and 80s, uh, what's his, M. McKellen mm-hmm. would have been a character actor. Right. And of course, I'm probably going to go see that tonight. Uh, the Good Liar. That's where I'm headed tonight, more than likely. Yeah. And Gone Wilson, buy his books, man. Just go buy his books. You'll enjoy the hell out of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's also a couple of really good uh, Facebook groups, too. If yeah. you want to take a look at that. Too. Well, tomorrow night is the start of our Thanksgiving Cape uh, festivities with 2011. Usually we do the Carl show on that, but not this year because, well, we'll just me and Carl are tough, strong men. We look into <laughs> okay. the eye of shitty movies and go, we will fight thee down and stand down. <laughs> but there's some You're people laugh, that are David. afraid of them. And because of that, we're having to move. The Carl anniversary show till Monday. So tomorrow will be we'll 2011, where me and Carl will probably be spending a half hour, be prepared for a half hour going, fucking Fickner, fucking Fickner, oh God, fucking Fickner, fucking <laughs> Fickner, oh God, fucking. <laughs> yep, I agree. And you'll hear me talk about half hour saying fuck you, Captain America, and waxing Rhapsodic on Mad Dog. And uh, let's just say 2011 was a good year for action. Yep. Absolutely. And Monday. I tried to get us. A great classic mafia movie to watch, but I couldn't find one that's under two years. I mean, hours. So I say, what's short and stupid? Oh, Gotti! It's one hour and 40 minutes. So we're going to watch the film that most people consider the worst of last year, and the movie that even Lionsgate wouldn't even distribute, and they sold it back to the people who made it. Yeah. So Monday we're going to be watching John Travolta is Gotti. Oh, good Lord. You got your bicarbonate ready, son? Yeah, I do. I do. I do. I can promise you it's bad, but it won't be saving Christmas bad. No. Thank God for that. Seriously. 
though the movie might be better with uh, St. Nicholas running around beating the shit out of people with a stick. It should be a lot of fun, that's for sure. Or a lot of pain, or a combination of both. And we'll see you tomorrow, and and thank you for being on, Carl. And 2011, don't kill anybody for the rest of the year, please. Uh, uh, yeah, really, really. 2019, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, 19, yeah. So, see you tomorrow, All right, everybody. thank you very much for having me on, Stephen. Appreciate it. Okay, goodbye. Goodbye. Father's home Tomorrow I'll be leaving I'll be on my own To the hills As a child I'll go But I'd rather be a wanderer To never go at all Pity there's just emptiness but with sorrow there comes joy And I would rather die in a hurricane Than to never know a storm Fears I know I face them As my castle walls fall Oh, but I would let those castles I'd never love at all In my soul A song like